Hey all, and welcome to the Skeptic Hangout, the place where we sit back, relax, and discuss some of humanity's most controversial and intriguing concepts through the lens of skepticism. We have with us today Richard Gilliver from Skeptic Takeout, Laura McGee from Unapologetically Me, and Richard Gill from the Yorkshire Atheist. Today, we are going to be talking about research. So grab your English tea or your mango smoothie and join us as we unpack all of the ways that we, well, figure stuff out. This is episode 16, Research. gentlemen how is it going today i'm good. good yeah we've, uh, it's uh, getting warm in britain <laughs> it's unheard of oh. i've been actively well i think on the day of recording it's the hottest day of 2021 so far in britain so and because we're such a small country we have homogenous weather just everywhere so it's just hot <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, I live in a desert, so that's like pretty much but yeah, so we're saying quo. hot, but it's like yeah. winter temperatures for Nevada, I imagine. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, anything below 70 is like delicious. <laughs> but anyway. Like my brain works in Celsius, so it's been like like 23, 24 degrees here, but I don't know what that is in yeah. I, I can't do the conversion. I know that zero degrees is like 32 degrees, like zero Celsius yeah. is 32 Fahrenheit or something like that. Someone but, can fill us in on the Facebook oh my group. God. Yeah. Please yeah, guys please. help us out because if there's one thing I'm not, it's good at converting between Celsius and Fahrenheit. And I don't even know why we still use Fahrenheit. We are so behind the times. But that's a separate right. podcast from the one that we're on now. So actually that leads right into research. Hey guys, go out and research the conversion between. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I think uh, uh, we we should start by kind of giving a brief overview of what we think research is, because it's got so many connotations, especially in this day. I mean, it, it's something we touched on in the science episode. It's something we touched on in the social media episode from very different viewpoints. Mm-hmm. So uh, what in general do you consider research to be? Oh, it's not just when you type it in Google and you get an answer? Shit. <laughs> it's how I got through my degree. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it can be that sort of research can be a big formal sort of, yeah, very formulaic sort of pattern of we do this and this and this and this to get a result in a very specific and provable sort of way. Whereas research can be like asking your friends things or it can be, you know, it depends what your goal is in your research, doesn't it? If you're researching specifically, you know, like, because research could be like I'm checking out my friends' opinions on what we should do when we meet up in the summer, or that can be research to to research people's opinions, as opposed to things like the all the I don't know COVID vaccine stuff at the moment, where people are doing specific scientific research, uh, and that's maybe one of the distinctions, isn't it, between sort of non-scientific and scientific research? And like I mean, you said, it... casual and not casual, like researching mm. where we're going to go on vacation this summer. You know, like you're right, yeah. like research can take on various forms. Even down to the most basic level of saying, hey, Google, what noise does a dog make? <laughs> oh, I expect you didn't it to say you didn't say, OK, <laughs> Google. <laughs> yeah, she's 
multilinguals, you can do it both ways. Okay. I think yeah. one of the the kids has unplugged it. Uh, <laughs> Notice how though, it's just going wildly off topic. Notice how I said she. Yeah, I know, right? It's and it's a computer nice. algorithm. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. <laughs> well, we're getting prepped for when AI becomes just a, a regular everyday thing, right? So our brains are already sort of being prepared for for that eventuality. But yeah, it can be the most basic uh, basic thing. You know, if you want to find out, uh, you know, how, what the temperature is and just typing it into Google or looking on your weather app, that in a way is a form of research. You're trying yeah. to find an answer to a question. And right. even like when I, so like I did, because uh, I've got a degree in linguistics and I did a, uh, for my dissertation, I did a sociolinguistic analysis of North Halifax English. So like I did like a, here is, not North Halifax English, Halifax English, so here is the variety of English spoken in Halifax, and I described it, and I did all this stuff. So as part of that, I had to do some research into various things. So I did some rapid anonymous surveys where I went into Halifax Town Centre and had people read lists of words out, and I recorded their answers. Um, but then I did some phonological interviews, like Lobovian-style interviews, where I, I sat down and had sort of open informal conversations with people that I recorded and then I had to phonologically transcribe things that they said so I like listened to exact vowel sounds and things that they said and wrote those down and like so even as part of the same sort of dissertation project for that I did very different styles of research in terms of I did my academic reading of sort of papers and previous studies of Yorkshire English of other varieties and um I did obviously my my field work as well as my interviews and stuff like that, as well as looking at sort of the academic start, you know, the stuff that helped me actually get answers from the stuff that I'd done the field work in and all. So there were so many different forms of research just in that one project. Um, that sort of tells you then how many forms of research there are sort of generally when I had so many in just one thing. No, that's true because even for, so same deal here when I was um, finishing up my bachelor's in cultural anthropology, my, my topic was um, reasons why people say that they're atheists. So it's not why are there atheists or what reasons are there for atheism? It was what reasons people give, like sociological, cultural reasons that people give mm-hmm. for, um, for being an atheist. And it was the same thing. I did polls, I did surveys, I did interviews, um, I did a lot of research into what research has already been done. Um, and then I, I did comparative studies in terms of, okay, well, I'm looking at the cultural anthropological aspect, but there's the biological aspect, there's the psychological aspect and what studies have been done in those fields. Um, and then what studies have been done in the, in the, um, the philosophical, right. And so, yeah, I, I think in terms of research, um, there is no one size fits all, <laughs> like even within a single study, that was a really good point to make. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, in in within uh, academic research, which is what we're talking about here, at the moment, are, at the moment, yeah, <laughs> uh, there are, there, it's 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 great to have that that variety, and it doesn't matter as as you've both spoken about. It doesn't really matter what area, whether it's linguistics or anthropology, or in my case, religion and philosophy. There's so much to look at. You can, you know, I, when I'm, I'm doing research on religion, I can be looking at papers on architecture, looking at the architecture of religious buildings and things. It's such a, it's such a wide range and uh, area when you're doing it to, uh, at that level. that It's so 
I was going to say so much fun. It's so much fun for me. Other people will probably find it boring. Although I have read academic papers on uh, on the way classical music is constructed, and that is boring. Mm. Unless you're <laughs> unless you're really into classical music and into, yeah. the, into that kind of technical I mean, side. For me, that was boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and I love music. I'm a musician myself, but I still found it tedious. But yeah, but go on, Richard. I was just going to say, I think a lot of the ways that most people sort of have a, a door into sort of researchers' things is you get like headlines, don't you, of researchers found that uh, people who sleep with a mobile phone under their pillows are 40% more likely to get brain cancer and die, or researchers, <laughs> have done, you know, and you, you get those sort of headlines of headlines of like researchers have shown this, or, you know, researchers proved that this. Um, and I think it, it's interesting because sometimes people are specifically trying to find things with a purpose, aren't they? So like my Halifax English study was very specifically trying to find out a thing about a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes people do come across things, things by accident, but yeah, I think research isn't just about finding new things. Sometimes it's just about consolidating what we as a society, as a, as humanity or sort of already know about something, um, which yeah, it can seem boring because it's not a quick thing to do is it like it takes a lot of time and a yeah. lot of reading of things which are not necessarily the easiest of reads right no and I, I don't know about you two guys but when I when I've been constructing my essays a, a good I'd say 70 80 percent of the time is reading the papers and doing the research oh predominantly yeah 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 so like going through for the the one sentence which is going to be in some way relevant to what you're actually talking about (laughs) going back to what what gil said just a minute ago i think it's it's kind of cool to draw sort of a distinction and i'm I'm not saying there's these only two like it's a dichotomy but the two types of research you were talking about like that what you did was more descriptive right whereas what other people are doing is trying to say prove a point or demonstrate a truth or um, hey, this medicine does this or has these side effects, right? So there's the research that's trying to discover something or answer a question. Um, and then there's the research that's just trying to describe something the way that it is. And it's not yeah. really trying to prove anything or it doesn't really have a question to answer. Um, yeah, there's my- no motive behind my dissertation, whereas some people right. do start out with that question of like, does a mobile phone under your pillow affect your health in any way? I'm, I'm making that stuff up. But I'm, <laughs> yeah, disclaimer. That, but um yeah, I think there is that thing of, yeah, research can be focused and pointed as opposed to mine, which was in that case just, yeah, more descriptive. And on that point, um, which I think we touched on this a bit in the science episode we did as well, the thing is, which you've just said there, you get you do get headline uh, kind of research stuff. And I think a lot of the problem is that a lot of people don't go past a headline when you're flicking through, you might be sat on the internet or flicking through a magazine or whatever, and you get the the headline of, you know, mobile phones called cause cancer or whatever, and you get that. And then a lot of people just read the article if it interests them. And that's it. They don't take that extra step of further study. And, you know, that is a shame, really, because unfortunately, that's that's used to manipulate i don't want to go all conspiracy but that is used to manipulate us by the people who are selling magazines and selling the headlines they'll they'll have a, a really eye-catchy headline which sometimes has nothing to do 
with the actual story itself, I'm thinking about, I've seen a lot recently about the uh, the UFO stuff, because the Pentagon's about to release a lot of UFO files, and there's so many uh, kind of <laughs> headlines out there, really, like, uh, uh, otherworldly. Oh, yeah, like proof of UFOs <laughs> yeah. about to be, yeah, yeah un- yeah. unveiled and, and or whatever. And the like story, big. it's got nothing to do with what you expect. It's, it's nothing to do with alien spaceships. Or, uh, you know, I read one the other day about uh, uh, fast, uh, what the, I'm not sure what they call it in astronomy, uh, fast radio burst, I think it was being discovered recently. And okay. uh, they were making it, it it's, a, it's just a, a, a natural anomaly in space. But the headline really made it, it you know, it was something along the lines of uh, alien signal from outer space. And, <laughs> yeah. and what they mean by to... alien is not, not originating this Earth. Earth. Yeah, the, the, and you have to read it to find it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's written in such a way to draw you in and and kind of get you reading those articles and get the clicks or the magazines or the newspapers or whatever sold. And it's 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 manipulative and it's dishonest. And, and ultimately, doesn't it add to the whole distrust of media in general, where it's like, yeah. um, like oh, you can't really trust media, and then you you have these examples of these um, things where they're misrepresenting what it is that they're talking about, or you have the researchers who do the research and the scientists and they present this data and then, or data, however you want to put it. And then the journalists come and they take that and they put their own spin on it and they add stories to it and they sort of editorialize it. Can it. Be the other way around as well though, can't it? Where uh, also then it can lead people to mistrust scientists in the scientific process because yeah. there'll be a headline like scientists have shown that our research has proven that ducks are 40% more likely to be right wing than left wing. And <laughs> right. Uh, and then suddenly people are like, what on earth are we spending all this money on scientists for? Because they're just coming up with these random things where that might have been, I mean, I don't know about the political beliefs of ducks. I'm not a massive... Uh, <laughs> or how their wings I, are arranged. Yeah, I haven't undertaken that research personally. But like, people can see that and, and it then sort of muddies their opinion of scientists or science as a thing. Um so I think that's sort of the flip side of what you were saying, Laura. Yeah, or or it goes alongside it. Like I think it it actually like yeah. runs parallel to what I'm trying to say is that when you have this, this very like um, sensationalized way of presenting research, um, yeah, I think it really does shake people's trust in it. Like I know I had a conversation with a family member just recently where they said, "Well, scientists are no more reliable than theologians or people who like follow a religion." So it's almost like if I follow Christianity, it's just as good as you following your scientists. They're all people trying to present like what reality is and they don't know any more than we do and when you when you Which really boil it down makes sense it sounds sensible yeah yeah well and especially because they're maybe talking about specific scientists and in specific instances where um information was presented as facts when it was still in the, the like the hypothetical stage or they're still kind of arguing it or trying to figure it out um and like what, what he used as an example is how often um periods of time have changed for the dating of say like dinosaurs um, or other fossils and it's like yeah because we're getting better and better at our methods um, but you're right if you talk about what scientists were saying 100 years ago it, it is just as much of a guess as <laughs> you know, like yeah. following a religion so you kind of are making a good point um, I've, I've had the conversation with people before who were lovely people religious yeah. people absolutely lovely not not the kind of apologist kind just general you know average to religious people yeah. who, who've genuinely come out and said oh yes Scientists have said, though, that the speed of light is getting faster. 
And it goes back to what you were saying. It's not getting faster. It's just been refined. The methods of measuring it have been refined and they've just... We're recalculating it. Yeah. Yeah. And they've just missed... Go on. No, I keep interrupting you. Go ahead. I was just going to say it's 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 just a misinterpretation of the of the way you should read things. It's yeah. uh, it's there's, there's a great resource out there called Google Scholar. I love uh, Google Scholar. Yeah, it's fantastic for finding stuff. I encourage everybody who's who doesn't use it, who's who's looking for stuff, rather than just using a search engine. If you're trying to answer an academic question, go to that because it gives you and it and it, it does have its flaws, and I'll get to the flaws in a second, but. It's really good because it'll bring up a list of the uh, relevant papers and things. It'll tell you how many times they've been cited, yes. and uh, which which is a good kind of reference source to how reliable the uh, information in them is, um, because it shows trust in in that paper from other academics. And if you've got an, if you do have an academic facility. You can actually sign into it through that and get because a lot of the results are sometimes uh, they may be just the opening to the papers or whatever. You may not have access to the full thing. If you've got uh, the uh, access to an academic facility, you can go in there and sign in and read the full things. Um, But it does have its drawbacks. I mean, if you I did a search recently for uh, the biblical account of Exodus. And it brought up a huge list of results. But out of like maybe 10, 12 of the first results, there were only two of them that were actually academic papers. Mm-hmm. You do have to look at it. will tell you the uh, publication it's been uh, put forward in So on, on Google Scholar. So if you have a look, it will actually tell you the publication. Uh, and you can look, see whether that's a reputable journal. And a lot of the cases with the research I did, was it was just showing you books that had been published yeah, so that, that could be anybody I was about to say that brings up a really good point when you're talking about research because unless you're a researcher where you've been trained how to do research and how to check the the reliability of these different um sources like a lot of people will see maybe like a it, it might have a website like scientificjournal.com right and that sounds oh scientific journal that sounds reputable that sounds good and it says that, you know, eating turtle shell soup is healthy for your brain. So I'm going to do it. Right. Um, but the problem is knowing when a source is actually like a good source and they're, they're well vetted and they like to have their stuff challenged and peer reviewed or whether it's sort of an echo chamber for an ideology, um, or an organization. Um, that that's exactly really- the point I was going to make. Cause like you can get, so here's an example. So I am a, Obviously, I've got my linguistics degree, but as a teacher, I'm also I specialize in languages, so I speak French and German. And so, like, one of the things that we used when I was training to be a language specialist primary teacher was that we looked at loads of reports from, like, various sort of non like, NGOs and sort of international, like, organizations and stuff about the promotion of sort of language learning and all that sort of stuff. They've obviously, as part of their remit have undertaken research to show to get some statistics about this and that to sort of say look this is a good reason why people should be learning languages and whatever else and i believe in in language learning wholeheartedly i think it's a brilliant sort of thing to uh, to undertake but obviously the organizations that have undertaken that research and have got these facts and figures obviously have an agenda it's an agenda i agree with but they do have an agenda specifically to prove their point to show the sorts of things that they're they're wanting to say and to make 
to put their things in as positive a light as possible. Now, skeptically, it's like, well, there's that thing of like, I've not necessarily got a reason to disbelieve what they're saying, but you do have to take everything with a pinch of salt, don't you? It's like, they do have an, ag- an agenda that they're wanting to push. Um, so then the, I was going to say, the good, the good thing with that is if, if you're really wanting to know more of like the truth of a matter, right? And yes, you're, you're doing the study on linguistics and you have this like clearly biased agency, but you're getting all this, this data from it is to be able to look and see where the counter information is. I think in research, in layman's research, I think that's what gets lost a lot is you'll have this question or this point of view and you'll research that point of view and like, okay, this is what I believe. Is there research out there to support it? Is it, is it reasonable to believe this? Oh, look, there's like a whole body of research. So yeah, it's reasonable to believe, right? And so like what you yeah. say with the whole, like, is there a reason to disbelieve it? Um, I think one thing that's really important with good research is to look at it holistically and look at what information is out there that counters it, right? And so if the counter information isn't necessarily bad or doesn't necessarily have anything compelling against it, then that's really good in support of it. Like if you, I don't know, in my- There are very few do not learn foreign languages organizations that I could have found research for, so. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? Like if there's an argument, if there happens to be an argument out there that says, hey, this is bad and here's why, um, take yeah. a look at the argument. If that argument yeah. doesn't exist at all, then that's even more support in my well, opinion. Think, yeah, and it'd be really easy to, for me to go from one NGO to another charity to another organization, an educational facility, all of which were saying the same things about language learning. Right. Therefore, me thinking, well, there is an overwhelming consensus, but all of those four things still have the same biases and the same motives as each other in the first place. Um, and again, I don't, I don't think there's any controversy about language learning being a positive thing but like as an example you see what i mean and agendas on in in that case and i've got one specifically in mind it's specifically to do with languages they're not necessarily a bad thing agendas aren't always bad it's about understanding the agendas what is this person's purpose what is their if if you look at linguistics they were really clear with their agenda like we're saying this because we want you to learn languages, you know. Definitely, right. and not just that. If you if you have a look at the uh, uh, Scottish and Irish Gaelic, they're making a resurgence, and there's a huge push because at one time they were outlawed. Yeah. You couldn't speak those languages in those countries, and there's a huge resurgence to kind of reclaim that cultural identity by bringing those languages back, and that's not a bad thing. That is in no way a bad thing. Agreed. Yeah. And, and I think that um, in terms of um, like those kinds of agendas, like what you said, um, when you're talking about a resurgence or trying to hang on to something or trying to maintain something, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right. Like, I think what I don't, I don't remember which one of you said it is how clear is the agenda? Like how outward are they? Are they secretive about it? Is it really hard to figure out? Is it hard to find? Um, are they open to challenging? So let's take the linguistics out of it and just say like, just any, cause I agree with you guys, you're not going to find a lot of, of counter information on that, but let's take something, um, like just randomly a little bit more controversial, like whether or not a specific animal should be kept in that habitat or that habitat should be like bowled over and turned into a shopping mall. Right. Um, when, when you can challenge, uh, when, when, what am I trying to say? When the entity is 
open to challenge and open to say like, Hey, give me, give me counter evidence. Like, Oh, you, you think it's okay to just ignore this, this, or eliminate this duck habitat? Like, show me the, the data, show me why. Right. Then like you know that they don't have a like bats in like derelict buildings and they want to get rid of the building, but the bats are there. Exactly. Uh, so there are people who say the bats need saving. There are people who saying, yeah, but they're not as important as all the money we're going to make from this development. Um, How can we, but, we relocate them? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is one of those where you uh, can do research into the benefits of moving the bats or the whatever else, but people would then i guess want to hide their bias that they're trying to get rid of the bats anywhere and just find a good reason to do so right so that's the trick right is like how open is that organization or that individual or that research entity how open are they to criticism and to arguments and stuff like that like are they wanting would... to actually be convinced of a good argument against what they're saying sure yeah or, absolutely yeah and that is a good thing, again, with that, with, uh, and I'm going to keep pushing this till the day I die, academic research, because the, the, the basics, one of the very first thing you're taught when you're writing, formulating an academic argument is go out and find those opinions that disagree with you. Exactly. Take those onto board, take those on board, put them in your paper yeah. and actually argue against them. Don't just pretend that they're not there. That's or bad if they're, idea. yeah, it is bad academics. But I was gonna like not to interrupt. I keep doing that, but or be able to point them out as a as a um, shortcoming of your research, right? Like, yeah, sure, your research definitely. might be able to say like, here's this counter stuff out there, and here's my argument against it. But then there's also here's my research, and this is a potential limiting factor, or this is a potential issue that hasn't been resolved yet. For yeah. people to be able to put that in there and to be able to acknowledge that, that to me shows a lot of credibility because they're they're basically showing where a chink or a hole or a weakness in their argument might potentially be so that someone else will come around later and here's these two different arguments. They can like attack them more and maybe get at which yeah. one has more. more and that, that those kinds of uh, arguments and shortcomings are put forward in if you'll have a look at a lot of research to do with... Uh, the start of uh, the universe or, or mm-hmm. uh, the start of life, abiogenesis, those those arguments are presented a lot in those papers. I've read a few of those papers and they clearly state in the conclusion there is so much more research to do. Or psychology papers. I love psychology and neurology papers. And, I, you know, I've got quite a lot of benefit that my wife's doing a master's at the minute in educational psychology. So I'll just nice. dip into a lot of, of her work and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Nick, Nick yeah. Vilsa's resources. So, But uh, in a, a lot of psychology papers, you get that. You said this is, uh, you know, consciousness is a prime example because uh, that's a huge open question at the minute in psychology. And, that, you know there's so much more research to be done in this area is often stated in the conclusion and they're putting forward ideas or hypothesis which need further investigation which even that on its own i think gives the research itself more credibility doesn't it it's not like saying i have got the answer here it is guys you can go home now like you know (laughs) saying I have got these possible answers to this, but I'm wanting to do more here. Other people can do more there. Let's work it out. I think really does give, yeah, credibility and credence to, to the thing that they're saying. Yeah. yeah. I think this is now a good time to stop for the commercial break. But when we get back, I'd be really interested to hear about your guys' thoughts on interpreting research and interpreting data 
Um, I know Gil had said something earlier about like, oh, and he had made it up like the 40% of, or when you have your cell phone under your pillow, you're 40% more likely to, this to die from, as well. yeah, yeah, yeah. from this video. And that's all they'll remember. Yeah. By the way, he made that up. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is like, sometimes research is really, really hard to interpret. And sometimes the results are interpreted this way or that way in order to support a claim, but they could technically be interpreted both ways. So off to commercial break. And then I would love to hear what you guys think about that kind of stuff. So, what are we up to this week? Well, the same as last week, my calendar is pretty empty. Oh no, <laughs> book them now, guys. Book them now. <laughs> yeah, if you want to, I'm more than happy to jump in and, and you know, I'll, I'll come and just talk in my drone, not all exciting voice. We were I want to see. Actually, I want to see Gil get in on some stuff because you have so much to bring to the yeah. table. Like, why are you It'd not all over the place right yeah. now? I don't know because I am. I'm, I'm one of those people that it really adds value to whatever I take part in. So, <laughs> I, but I agree. Whether you're being serious or not, <laughs> you really do. Because the thing is, me and Laura sit here and we're drawn on. And we just kind of drawn on and talk to other each other and just chatterbox all the time. And then you will just jump in with the kind of most funny anecdote, which really livens everything up. It's or brilliant. real wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Wisdom. That's it. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so wisdom. guys, start hitting Gil up. Let's get him out there. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not doing anything. Gil's obviously not doing anything. <laughs> um Laura, obviously, as usual, is the, the busy one out of us. On Sunday, June the 13th, she's on the non-profits again. Uh, on Tuesday, June the 15th, she's in the Meet the Crew in the ACA Discord. So that's a, a absolutely wonderful place where you get to meet everybody who's involved with the ACA and get to find out a little bit about the people behind the scenes. And, and we all chit-chat live, in. so it's a, it's a live <laughs> conversation. Yeah, that, so if you can, get along to that and uh, we'll put all the links, necessary links in the description and you can go along and watch more, Laura. We also have this wonderful little community of our own, which Mr. Gill is about to tell you about. Hmm. Sorry, Richard, were you talking then? I was just distracted on my phone on the... Um... <laughs> oh he's facebooking on our discussion group you see that's it and you can see look we've got some little it's not focusing but there's little cartoons of us at the top so you know it's the real deal and uh it's a wonderful place with some wonderful people talking about wonderful things um if you've not yet joined please do so we would love to have, join, uh, have you join us um and to have regular chats chit chats and discussions uh, and you can find the link to that and all of our other platforms for just everything on our Linktree page, which is Linktree slash Skeptic Hangout. And that'll be in the description as well. All right. On those notes, let's go ahead and jump right back to the show. All right. Welcome back from the commercial break. And we're just going to jump right back into it. Um, what I have I've already said- forgotten what question you asked. Perfect. I'll say it again because <laughs> I love repeating myself. <laughs> um, yeah. So before the break, I'd asked, like, not really asked a question, but more like presented something to talk about. Um, and I'll tell you a little story for why that I think it's significant. But basically, it involves like how do you guys go about interpreting the the data when you're doing research, like the the actual data itself, not the the paper around it or the the um, 
published journals around the paper, but the actual um, data. So I was reading back when I was still a Muslim, um, I was reading up on miswak, which is like the little stick, the siwak stick that they use to brush their teeth. And I wanted to know whether or not like there's any um, credence to the claim that that's a really good form of, of oral hygiene. And um, some people would even claim that it was better than brushing your teeth with toothpaste. So I read a study and it was done by a Muslim and it showed like the, the amount or the percentage of plaque reduction for regular teeth brushing versus brushing with miswak. And, and to its credit, it did talk about the different limitations. Like one, there's the bias because the researcher was Muslim. Two is the lack of other research done on this topic. Like it was the only study of its kind. Yeah. Um, and three was that the, the um, differences were really minimal. But what they found was um, slightly more plaque overall was reduced, was reduced by using the miswak than by using the toothbrush. Um, but the results were so minimal. Um, it was like a very, very, I can't remember what the percentage was, but it was a very, very, very small percentage. Imagine doing loads of research and your conclusion is it doesn't really matter. Right. But what I'm saying is that the conclusion that that was brought up was that, hey, it does show that that um, it's slightly better than brushing your teeth or it suggests that it's slightly better than brushing your teeth. And what I found is that sometimes when doing research, the actual numbers, it's like, oh, if you eat this kind of food before doing this kind of workout, you're more likely to burn fat faster. Right. But what you find out is like the percentage is like, oh, there it, it was like. 25% without this food and 27% with this food. Like the, the, where the benefits the difference... definitely do not outweigh the thing of having to go to the supermarket to get the food. To <laughs> the food I mean, if you want to spin it in such a negative way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but my whole thing is that like, to me, that that's almost like statistically insignificant and yet it's still being presented as, Oh, look, this is a benefit. How do you know it was really that big of a benefit? Like, so anyway, yeah, I think, I think that's one of the things you've got to look at, isn't it? The 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 bias and the why the p- paper's being presented. Who's commissioned the paper to begin with? And of course, all all good papers do have like declarations of bias. I was reading something on uh, something to do with Buddhism. I don't know what it was. A paper to do with Buddhism recently, and it was written by a monk, and it said, you know, we declare bias because. X, X, X. And it, it's good when you when you get that kind of thing, it it reinstills confidence in you reading the paper that those people are willing to say that. Uh, but touching on the numbers thing, you know, you might have a, a, a health food company who's promoting a certain kind of food and it might only be a percentage difference <laughs> in, in the benefits of it. But when they've paid for the research and they're trying to sell a product, that percentage can be easily spun as, as you said into this is more beneficial for you. This is healthier for you. And you don't even have to report that percentage because if it was 0.01% higher, then it's higher. And that's all you need to tell people. Right. And that the other thing is um, even when it's something like, um, oh, I want to measure whether or not algae grows faster in this environment or that environment. Right. Um, it's interesting to me that a, we do not know all of the variables that can possibly be tested for al- algal growth in, in every environment possible. We're just narrowing it to these two. And then the, the differences are like, oh, this seemed to grow more here than it did here. Um, it just, it seems to me, it's like, um, but what other, because it's such a small percentage or because the numbers are so close, um, oh, it's 17% here and 23% there. 
I mean, that could seem like a really significant number depending on how you spin it, but it's like, yeah. yeah, but what about all the other factors that, that went into it and all the other, I mean, to me, it, it gets so difficult to know when the numbers even matter at all. Yeah. And they can be so focused. Like the thing you were saying about like, eat this food before you work out and it's proven to burn this many more calories or whatever. But like, you don't necessarily, that study that proved that, and again, you were making that up. So yeah. it's not even, but like, <laughs> all of what I've said, I've made up so far, <laughs> except the me story. Every, every single word. <laughs> um, but like the study that proved that it was more benefit, you burn more calories by eating that thing was only focusing on that one aspect of eating that thing and may have like overlooked completely any negative effects in other non-calorie burning areas of whatever. So like, right. Yeah. You can take it at face value that, okay, that has that effect and it is positive or negative in this way, but you just don't know all the variables of other things, which it may affect because that wasn't in the scope of the study. Or it had a positive effect for say 20% of the participants and no effect whatsoever on the rest of them. Right? overall positive and on average yeah. positive, but... but not positive for every single person like it's not a across the board physiological truth that it, that this particular food has this particular benefit and it's so complicated like different physiologies and different like health that's where it's important to look into larger research as well though isn't it yeah. because sometimes uh you know we've mentioned the work of dr julia Shaw before who implanted memories into people mm-hmm. and 70 percent of the people in her study had were had memories successfully implant false memories successfully implant implanted into them, and that was really significant for that study. Yeah, it was a, a so it's it's numbers may sometimes have disparity, but it depends what the study is as well and the circumstances surrounding it and the wider picture. Well, and that's why I ask what your guys' specific takes are on it because for me, when I read the research, I do look for like how significant is this number? What does it actually mean? Um, so like for, for more reasons for consuming research as well, isn't there in terms of like, whether you are looking at it for a university course or whether you're looking at it in terms of which of these muesli bars am I wanting to buy? Like it's different context. And you know, if I see a health claim on the front of a, a box of cereal, I'm definitely not going to be looking into those numbers because I do not give enough of a shit about it. <laughs> do I like the cereal or do I not like the cereal? <laughs> yeah. It's just... Yeah. No, that is a good point. Like how important is the research to you? Yeah. But there were some things that I found were like really misleading. Like um, the, oh my God, I'm going to say it wrong. Like the gyre, the North American gyre or gyre. Um, it's the, the um, in the ocean, there's like the uh, currents that go and they meet and because they meet, they create sort of like the circular and we're talking on a global scale. It's this huge global current and it comes and meets and it creates this sort of like a swirl. And there's several swirls around the world in these oceans and the North American, I think they're called gyres, the North American gyre. Um, Is that one of those words like they, read but never known how to say it out loud? Exactly. Yeah. I need to watch like some documentaries where they pronounce it's G-Y-R-E. <laughs> so it's either gyre or gyre or gyre. I don't know. I'm going to say gyre. Someone correct me. Yeah if, yeah. if you have a correction, record yourself and put it on Facebook of how it's supposed to sound. <laughs> but um, they were talking about trash in the oceans and how they're collecting in these gyres. And they talk about the North mm. American gyre and how it's basically like just this big trash island, right? But, and they, they talk about the, the amount of tons. Like they actually kind of guesstimate the amount of trash using whatever mathematical formula they use. And, oh, there's X amount of trash in these gyres. And it sounds huge. And then I watch a documentary and it goes and they're, they're writing through them. And it's like, there's a piece of trash and there's one over there and there's a clump 
and there are some bottles floating and they're really spread out and they're not, it's not like you get this image of like this hard island of floating like trash. On Wally, like on the Disney film Wally, where they've got the massive like right. stacks of, of rubbish all piled up. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's still bad that all this trash is in the ocean. I'm not saying, oh, it's no big deal. It's still a big deal. But the image that I got in my head based on the descriptions of it and based on the actual numbers and the data was not accurate to what it actually looks like when you're on a boat riding through the gyre and like looking at all and they would pull trash out and sample it and stuff um i guess most of the trash is like microplastics so you can pull like a sample of water and there's like little beads of plastic floating around in there and that's significant that's bad but it's not this hard packed solid island that you're but imagining thing of like intent isn't it like right. they want you to think about worst case scenario in with with those statistics and those numbers don't they because they want you to therefore take action on it because you have that emotive response um right. And I guess they, they're not necessarily hiding that because, again, most people would agree that that's a worthy um, sort of, yeah, ambition to have on their part. And bringing scepticism into it, I think the thing is, if you... Oh, yeah. If, if you... Have a, <laughs> 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 Bring it around. <laughs> have, 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 have a, if you have a look at the kind of... If you're doing research into a paper and or you're looking at a, a specific research paper find out all the information. So what journal is it in? How many times has it been cited? Who has funded the paper? Blah, 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 blah. All this stuff is really important to take into account, especially if you're going to form a conclusion from it or if you're going to use it as evidence for something. And, you know, and take as much information in as possible. It does, you've, look at it with a skeptical eye and say, does this matter to me? Is it a cereal bar that it's just going to taste a bit different to another one? Or is it going to be, am I going to be using this? Am I going to be using this as form a, a part of a nev- an argument for something? You know, we said in the last episode about <laughs> Christianity, to us, Jesus really doesn't matter to us. It's, Whether or not he was historical or actually. Yeah, it's... It, 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 but it's then if I'm making of, life decisions based on things I believe in other areas, it's important to do your research and to understand. Yeah, that's what yeah. Jesus is the serial bar of history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But when, you, when you're talking about things, if you're trying to formulate an argument, if I'm writing a paper and I want, you know, for my professor at university to read and I'm trying to form a specific argument, it's very important to take all these little different tiny bits of different things into account. Yeah, and also um, you were talking about the, the your paper and stuff like that. It's also to identify your own shortcomings. Like, for example... Um, my original, so for my, my paper, my final paper that I did, I had to have a thesis statement. And my thesis statement was that I think that um, atheists, I believe that atheists will largely cite scientific and practical reasons for their atheism, not a, a dislike of religion or anything like that. And my data happened to support that after I did all the surveys and stuff like that. It really strongly supported, like, not convinced by the arguments, no historical context doesn't jive with with scientific facts so in that particular case my hypothesis um, was supported by the conclusions but if throughout your research you find that your hypothesis is not supported there is where it's incredibly important to be um to have academic integrity and to point that out and be like oh i went into this study and i've read lots of papers that do this we went into this study thinking a b and c and we actually found d e and f Right. Well, it'd be really easy for you as the researcher to be like, 
actually, I, I did an interview with Jeff and Jeff didn't really match with what I was wanting to say. So let's ignore the fact that I interviewed mm. Jeff. Yeah. Let's move on to the next person. You know, yeah. it's really easy without that academic integrity like you were talking about. Oh, yeah, that decide. would be a really dishonest way of... I want to jump in really... Well, I'll say really quick. I <laughs> hope it's really quick it's with some things. Really I, want, I want to move on to something else after. Sure. Uh, uh, what... Um, when we're writing papers, when or when we're looking at papers, uh, but mainly when we're writing papers, what you know we tend to do is have the conclusion in mind and then build an argument to reach the conclusion. Exactly. Yeah. However, sometimes that's when outside of research, uh, academic research, when you're trying to form an argument, that's not. That's usually the worst way to do it from the uh, perspective of skepticism for example if you start if you want to prove god if you're looking at an argument for god and you start with the conclusion for god and you work backwards and you take the data that supports that and ignore the data that doesn't that's a really bad way of making a, a, a philosophical argument it's yeah. a really yeah. backwards way of doing it so really it it depends what kind of thing you're doing as well, because the methodology can be the same, but it can be really bad for depending on what argument you're trying to make, or it can be really good if you're just trying to put an argument forward. If you're trying, if you're trying to say something is real, that's it, and this is the proof that it's real, it's a really bad way to go about it. Right. If you're because forming an argument, having an idea of your conclusion is a good idea. Yeah. Because I think then you, you're going to pick out those bits that are stronger in your favour and leave out the bits which are weaker in... I can't speak. Which are sort of go against what you're trying to say. And it's just... <clears throat> it leaves you presenting a view which is incomplete. And yeah. which is... Um, I mean, it's cherry-picking, isn't it? Like, just... Yeah. It's not an accurate representation of what it is. You're not necessarily lying. You're not necessarily actually, like, twisting things or making up numbers or anything like that. Uh, but it's just, uh, yeah, very focused in a very narrow direction. Yeah, and if you did well, that in an academic paper, it'd, it'd you'd be get a really bad way to, yeah. 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 Well, and that's where I'm a little bit curious because you had said sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. In my opinion... I mean, yes, there's times where it's just not reasonable to, to do all the research and have everything like right there in front of you. Like when you're trying to convince your kids to eat raisin bran instead of like frosted flakes or whatever, um, just being able to say, hey, it's healthier and just leave it at that. Like I, I can kind of get where you want to just have your conclusion up front and then find the research to back it up versus challenging that. But I think in, in all the cases that I can think of, I can't think of an actual real case where it would be a good idea to have your conclusion first. And then try to find the research to back it up. Like, in my opinion, we should always have sort of like this open mind that we could be wrong. Like, what if oh, Raisin Bran is actually less healthy and yeah. we just don't know I don't, it? I don't mean <laughs> have your conclusion. What I mean is have an idea of what your conclusion will be and work towards that. And if you find stuff that counters that. Uh, and be willing it, to diverge. That's, that's what I meant. Sorry, I probably didn't phrase it properly. Or maybe uh, I just but, heard it wrong, but I was like, well, under what circumstances is it a good idea to be no, like, no. this is what I think, and I'm going to yeah. back it up, and then I'm not going to challenge I'm, it. <laughs> I mean, have, have your conclusion in mind, uh, you know, from the idea, and then do your research, and if your research doesn't form the conclusion, then be willing to change your mind. That's yeah. where the skepticism well, comes in. A similar sort of scenario, but slightly different. I know you were trying to think, Laura, in terms of how could this be a thing. Sometimes it, 
if you're doing that sort of descriptive sort of research, you can be like that, can't it? So like, I have found oh, yeah. this thing happens or I've, I've found that this is the way something is. Let's research how that happens or how why this you know gets that place. So I that's like a that. similar way where you do start with the finished product and you're working your way towards it. But it's just, it's a slightly different thing to concluding something. Um, no, but that is you... that does answer my question. I think that's a really good point because in my mind I was like, no, it's totally black and white. Like you have to always be willing to change your mind. But you're right in terms of describing something or better understanding something that you've witnessed or that you're going through. Like a good example that I can think of is like mental health, right? Where like, let's say I'm having um, like just a, a really bad depressed period and I start like, here's how I'm feeling. Here's my symptoms. Here's what I'm going through. Um, here are the types of conversations I'm having to go and do some research, like to better understand that. Like my conclusion is already there. I conclude that I am experiencing A, B, and C. And I do that actually quite often where I look for the um, research or the, the information that backs up what it is that I'm already witnessing or experiencing. So that's a good point. Okay, let's move on to what I wanted to move on to then. Yes, Mr. Gilliver. We've talked about uh, a lot of academic stuff today. I'm sure a lot of us li- listeners are bored silly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, let's talk about shit research. <laughs> or even just about- casual research. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, well, I want, a, I want an, ex- an example from you of what you consider of, of, that you've come across from other people or yourself if you've done this yourself and gone out and it's just been really, really bad research and the argument that's been presented is based entirely on crap research. I have, I have two answers off the top of my head, so I'm going to let, let Gil go first. Well, no, I have zero answers. So the first one would be um, flat earth, right? Um, especially when I was first interested in that. And I was like, ooh, I want to know what the argument is. I didn't look for both sides and I had already... Like I didn't buy into that argument. I specifically was deliberately researching just that side because I wanted to understand the argument and, and what they thought. But for like an average person to just go in and be like, oh, I wonder if the earth is flat and if this is really a conspiracy to only look at the positive side of flat earth, like the arguments for flat earth and not to challenge them, not to look at any arguments. Like a lot of their arguments are really obviously scientifically flawed and it's not hard to tear them apart but um but you have to be willing to understand the science between like how do you determine that something as large as the earth is a sphere right it's it's you do look across like the desert or look across the ocean and it appears flat ish right so um you do have to be a little bit deliberate about it um so that one is one where you could really obviously do just crap research by only looking at the side that supports the, the flat earth. Um, and very much on the surface of the, all that information. Yes. And to not challenge any of the claims made like, oh, uh, you can't fly, you can't circumnavigate the world. And the, the, there's a whole argument about like flight patterns and, and airports and stuff like that and the GPS and everything to not look into that and just be like, oh, that's really compelling. That's interesting. Wow. You know, vast airport conspiracy, right? Um, yeah, to not dig any deeper. The other one is the like the entire Ancient Aliens TV series is it's just can I can I cuss really quick? It's just please do fucking because I'm going to it's bullshit. The research is bad. In some cases, it's lying or deliberately presenting falsehoods. Um, it's it's incredibly bad, bad, bad science, and to just 
watch something like the ancient aliens and be like, oh, I saw it on TV. It was on the history channel. So it's got to have some sort of, you know, like scientific or historical veracity to it. Um, they wouldn't put stuff on TV. That's not legit. Cause they're the history channel. Right. Um, it's just such garbage. And <laughs> yeah. So Gilliver or Gilliver, take that away. <laughs> Eric Von Daniken has got a lot to <laughs> fucking answer for with the chariots oh. of the gods. <laughs> if, if you, if you, if you're unfamiliar, just avoid it. <laughs> it it yeah. was a book written in, I don't know whether it was the 60s or 70s, it was probably the 70s, yeah. where uh, the guy made a, a lot of correlation between uh, ancient monuments or ancient pictographs and things or geoglyphs and uh, uh, ancient aliens visiting us. And then uh, some people have taken it and ran with it. And like, like a religion almost. Yeah. Unfortunately, we now have the Ancient Aliens TV series, which is shit. Well, the problem is, <laughs> I'm it's not presented... have strong feelings on it, but oh. wank. it's presented as factually accurate, and that's what pisses me off. Because now you have people who don't know any better, who don't even have the time or the drive to do the research, that are just going to watch it and be like, "Wow, that's really compelling." Because that really makes a lot of sense. Sort of TV program format for this is factual information. Like it, it right. set up in a very specific way on the screen and said in a very specific way mm-hmm. um, that sounds, yeah, really plausible because we're used to seeing legitimate academic programming presented in the same way. And what really gets me about it, I, 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 I didn't intend this for this to turn into this, so this is low as fault. This is low What really annoys me about it beyond all other things is that in almost every episode, don't know why I watch it because it's shit. It's so in entertaining. Almost... <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> in almost every episode, they'll literally talk about something so stupidly ridiculous and they'll say, the academic community don't think this is the case, but we do. <laughs> <laughs> Just fucking don't bother then. Just leave us alone. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like, what, what is it? Um, Giorgio Suclos with the whole like, it could be. I'm not saying it is, but it could be extraterrestrials. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Well, yeah. But I'm just trying anyway. to present this ridiculous idea. Anyway, let's get no. off that. Yeah. I would just shit. say, like, in terms of ancient aliens, it's great entertainment if you take it as entertainment. But when it's presented as facts, like, that's bad research. That's bad. Bad, bad, bad. Here's an example that I've come across quite a lot recently because um, I'm on TikTok far too often. Uh, and I'm. I'm enjoying atheist tiktok um and there's lots of people who do like response videos to this one guy i've seen who says like here's the proof of jesus and then there's like a photo of the mount of olives mount of olives where jesus ascended to heaven uh there's a picture of um a piece of wood in a frame in a church somewhere that says like a piece of jesus's cross uh there's a like a like a definitely like medieval and not at all like <laughs> 2000 year old tomb that's all ornamental and whatever else saying that Jesus' tomb. Um, but then there's people responding it like, Here is King's Cross Station, proof that Harry Potter is real, you know. And it's that <laughs> thing, like, and again, it's not on the same level as what you're talking about, and it's certainly not like research in a sort of academic sense, but it's one of those where it's it's a really accessible way people think, like, Oh, yeah, look, all these things do match, you know, it's it's the right place and it's the right things and that was mentioned and this was mentioned and it it it's that whole idea of surface level isn't it like it's all surface level stuff that kind of is in the same sort of direction but 
at, at least with that, the, to, to be fair, at least with that, there is a, a long tradition in Christianity of uh, martyrdom. And, you know, especially during the Middle Ages, there yeah. were, uh, you know, it, there were really lots of, uh, you know, pieces of people's skulls, relics of people's skulls that people went to see. People, you know, there were authentic things. Yeah. Like Thomas Becket is is there was an authentic shrine to him in yeah, yeah. in the Middle Ages, and uh, and then there were obviously then the claims of like pieces of the True Cross or the fucking Shroud of Turin and stuff like that. So Laura's got me cursing. <laughs> <laughs> You're so welcome, guys. <laughs> I had to spice the show up eventually until episode fifteen, but you know. <laughs> but yeah, we so yeah, that's, there there are some truths and some things to that. It's not the same level as ancient fucking aliens. Not <laughs> so you bring up a really good point. Okay, so we're talking about research, right? And when I was a Christian, my whole stance was if a religion is true, whichever religion it happens to be, it's going to comport with reality and the facts are going to support that religion or the religion is false. So one thing that kept me in in Christianity far longer than I should have been is exactly that. It's the bad research. It's the, here's this archeological site. This is the wall of Jericho. And this is um, like the city of, I don't even know off the top of my head, but like, like you um, all see reports, don't you? Of like, we found the city of Sodom, or we found that you know, and like exactly. All that, or there's there's, there's like, chariot wheels under the the Red Sea, which is proof of of the Exodus, right? Yeah. Um, first of all, some of that research is bullshit, and some of it is just misrepresented, um, and some of it is potentially kind of intriguing. Like, yeah, some of biblical history corresponds with actual. Um, historical sites and so there is sort of like this this bit of overlap where it, it is really compelling like but jerusalem the- was a place where jews were like, <laughs> right fine <laughs> good cool proof of jesus yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right but i mean that's that's part of what kept me religious for so long was being able to go to scholars and not knowing the difference between good scholarship and bad scholarship and not knowing what the controversies were and not looking at both sides. Like I, once I found a source that supported my idea, I tended to stick toward that source. Like there well, was I, half I, a second I, where I followed Ken Hovind's teachings and I was like, that's compelling. Right. I guess as a Christian, <laughs> you've, you've also got the Bible, which is assumed to be a correct source of evidence as well. Right. It's like, it's like, yeah, you've only got that one other source of evidence, but it's backing up this other source of legitimate evidence in the Bible that you've already got. So it's like, whereas obviously we don't necessarily view the, well, we don't view the Bible, the Bible in the same way uh, in terms of its historical accuracy for, yeah, research purposes. <laughs> Maybe the thing is, so I've, and I've, I've got to in, just jump in and, yeah. and play devil's advocate here, but the, I think... Uh, atheists looking into historical research of the Bible are just as guilty as shit research because this the amount of times I've seen and there's nothing wrong with this scholar he's absolutely brilliant I'm not disparaging the scholar it's the way people use him the amount of times people jump in and quote Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman. I knew you were going to say his name. Yeah. And because he's so popular. He's really, really good at what he does. He's so yeah. popular. But so many times I see people jump in and say, oh, Bart Ehrman says this, Bart Ehrman says that, Bart Ehrman says the other. And it's all one sided. There was some yep. really, really, really good, unbiased Christian believing scholars out there. And there's nothing wrong with using their work. Just right. because the Christian believing, 
you don't have to jump on this one. And it really is a celebrity uh, kind of scholar. And his stuff field. is and really, really easy to read, too. It's yeah. easy to read, and yeah, it is and really fun. good. Yeah. I don't want to make out like I've got anything against Bart Ehrman because he's really good at what he does. But you're talking um, about crap research. Just read one of his books and say, okay, now I'm an expert on Christian history. Like which that's- a lot of people do, <laughs> and that's that's what I'm I'm trying to get at. There are a lot right. of people from the atheist side who will read. Uh, you know, I've, I've literally seen people speak and say, well, Bart Ehrman says this, and Bart Ehrman says that, and Bart Ehrman says the other, and Bart Ehrman says this, so therefore... And you're like, right. that's just shit yeah. research, mate. You can't just read from one author and draw a conclusion about the whole of early Christianity. So unless, bring- just, unless though you, you read that one author and delve into his bibliography and delve into all the sorts of research yeah. he, you, that- know, you go through all of that. Um, but that's a completely different thing, like you said, than just taking something on face value because you've read that book and you paid twelve ninety nine for the book in the first place. So, I mean, it must be worth it. But that is exactly the point I was going to make is when you read a single person's work, that is somewhere to start from. That is not somewhere to draw conclusions from. Right. So they've already drawn their own conclusions, but a, their conclusions are not necessarily automatically correct. Like look at Eric von Danigan, like we were talking about. Um, You have to be at least a little skeptical about anybody. um, Even if they're, even if they're experts in the field is, is um, where do they get their information and can you check their cited resources and, can you delve a little bit deeper into it? What are the counter arguments? So we've talked about how you can take statistics and make them say whatever you want right. to. There's certainly someone's conclusions based on data, even if you accept that their data was accurate, maybe completely different to the conclusions that you or anyone else might make uh, as well. Uh, yeah. And on that point, I've, uh, and, and sticking with Bart Ehrman, I, uh, just for a quick second, I, uh, I, I've read in one of his books that he was, I can't remember what he was talking about, but it made reference to something being the earliest copy of something when I was trying to formulate a point. And I've actually seen, and I've, I need to do further research on this. It's really recently I've read this, but in the footnotes of one of the Bibles, which I've, and again, really good scholars who've translated this Bible and the footnotes, it actually says there are earlier accounts of that. So that's something I want to go into because Bart Ehrman's assessment doesn't seem to match the assessment of these other scholars and I want to dive in there and really get into it and yeah and well that's another thing too is to understand that like um scholars can get things wrong or they can be mistaken or they can be flawed like when, when you think in terms of the books that he writes he's going through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of references so even if he is trying his hardest to be 100% correct and not yeah. deliberately present false facts he can still accidentally present yeah. false facts and things do slip through the cracks so you're right, being able to um, catch little things like that and say, oh, okay, it's not necessarily to discredit the specific academic. It's for me uh-huh. to have a better understanding. What is the actual um, information out there? And I think a lot of times um, casual research ends, ends at the, the end of the first um, um, article or the end of the first book. Or I maybe- want to be the best academic I can. And it's uh, you know, I, I get a lot of flack from people sometimes because they'll say to me, well, you know, you do all this research and you can't name Bible and verse. I'm really bad at kind of giving the memorization. The, the, the memorization. But you've got to bear in mind, I'm not, I'm not just a Christian. I'm not just researching Christian stuff. I'm researching Islam. I'm researching Christianity. I'm researching Buddhism. They're the three primary areas on top of kind of all the philosophical the and ethical stuff yeah. I do. So they're, they're my three primary areas the buddhist canon itself is fucking big 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More than just a Bible. That's yeah. a lot of work to go through. I can't sit there. I tend to re- remember and memorize gists and uh, general ideas rather than chapter and verse. I'm and, the same way. Uh, that's something yeah. I get I, I get a lot of flack for from people, especially who, who I'm having discussions with who might have a contrary point to me. I don't care. And if you did as much research as I did, you wouldn't be able to memorize chapter and verse either. And it wouldn't <laughs> even necessarily be that important. Okay, so here's where I'm going to give my closing thoughts um, because you just like inspired me with this. But then I want to hear your guys' closing thoughts. Um, for me, research isn't always about having all the information off the top of your head. It's not about memorizing a bunch of facts. It's not about knowing the specific dates of everything. Sometimes research is knowing where a body of knowledge sits and how to find it and how to reference it if you need it. So like you said, having a general idea of a topic, having an understanding of it that's maybe a little bit more than surface level deep, and then knowing where to go to. Like I've forgotten so much about Islam that people will ask me questions off the top of my head that I can't answer anymore. I could have at the time. And I just like that thing that I got wrong, like the bring me a verse versus bring me a chapter, right? Like a lot of it has fled. Um, but knowing where to go to, to find the answers, um, I think is a really important part of ongoing research. Not, I mean, when you're talking about a, a writing a paper, then yes, you need it right there in front of you. You need to capture it. You need to write it down. But just for a regular everyday person learning about a topic, it's, it's almost more important to know where to go to, to get the answers than to try to memorize absolutely everything and have it right off the top of your head. That's, that's yeah. my closing thought. I think my, I wanted to wrap background to something that I was on about earlier thinking about research in terms of biases and I think it's important to not only ourselves if we're undertaking research uh, but also if we're accessing and, and sort of consuming research that other people have done is to recognize that we all do have biases whether we want to let them affect what we're doing or not mm-hmm. uh, and biases don't necessarily make something false or make something true but it as long as you've got that sort of idea in the back of your head when you're yeah seeing and trying to understand that information it can it can yeah put you along the right path hopefully yeah and and uh, for for myself again exactly what richard says if i'm doing research into something bias is acutely at the front of my attention Uh, am i taking something in context am i taking especially with the religious research because i'm not a religious person and i notice so often when i come across religious uh textual arguments or textual criticisms that my bias automatically kicks in and I want to dismiss things because I'm not a believer in that particular religion and I I fight that all the time and it's something I'm always aware of but in general I have to implore people in general if this is the most important thing for me of regarding research it's the one takeaway I have to give people if you see a headline if you were drawn into a headline, if whether it's a, a magazine, a newspaper, whether it's a, an online article, whether it's a more academic article, don't just be drawn in and see the headline and think, that's it, that's the answer I need, or that's the answer I want to that question. Delve deeper. As, as Richard mentioned with Bart Ehrman, or I'm not sure if it was Richard Laura, or Laura mentioned with Bart Ehrman, don't just read his opinion. Look at the bibliography. Look at look at the where he's got that information from. Do that little bit extra. You don't have to be an academic. You don't have to be a scholar. Just do that little bit extra. Just get under the surface and I mean, just open the link rather than stopping at the headline. 
<laughs> or at the very least, like reserve judgment, right? Like if you think you understand something and you haven't delved enough into it, just admit you haven't delved enough into it. Yeah. Like I don't know are powerful words. <laughs> I don't know is our mantra, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we talked a lot today um, in terms of research um, on the academic side. So I think on the Facebook page, it would be really awesome um, to delve into the more casual research side, like things like, how do you know about the COVID vaccine? Like as a layperson, what's, what's good, what's bad about it? Should I get it? Should I not get it? Like, how do you do that kind of research? So I would love to, to extend the conversation on the Facebook about casual non-academic research. Um, I'd also like to know if anyone's done any, like, like I was geeking out about my linguistics research and stuff, just has anyone done any interesting research that they want to talk about? Because I think people often research things that they're passionate about and it's um, yeah, always good to talk about people who are passionate about what they're doing. Yes. So thank you guys all for joining us. Share your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you guys on Facebook. Um, But in the meantime, we are Laura, Richard and Richard. And this has been skeptic hangout until next time. Keep questioning, interrogate your beliefs and stay skeptical. Bye. Bye. Thank you.